Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. We're going to talk about an interesting topic called the mystery of Babylon, the mystery of Babylon. So many people, uh, even if they're not believers, are curious about what this topic is all about. Tonight, we're going to talk about the whore of Babylon. What is that? Uh, like I said, even unbelievers, are their, their curiosity is piqued by this subject matter. So uh, how much more so should we as believers be interested in what God and the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us uh, about the end times and what's to come upon the face of the earth at a future, maybe not so far off uh, date in the future. So share this stuff, guys. Um, say hello to your friends, your family. Invite people to come tune in. And uh, are you ready? Let's just, I want to do this. Before we jump into the word tonight, I want to begin in prayer. Can we do that? Can we do that? Heavenly Father, uh, I just thank you so much for uh, your beloved, for your church. I thank you for our our family, our, our family at Life Story Church, Lord. This uh, community church, this family church that you have you have gifted us, Lord. That you have brought together, Lord, from all different parts of this community that we're in, far and wide, Lord. And even on the internet, Lord, people all around the country tuning in tonight, people all around the world tuning in tonight. We thank you for them. We thank you for their hearts. We thank you for their encouragement, Lord Jesus. We pray that you bless your people tonight and bless them with this word. May this word be a seed planted in their heart that will reap an eternal reward. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. So uh, we're going to be studying, as we mentioned a moment ago, uh, chapter 17 of Revelation. We've come a long way, haven't we? We sure have. So tonight's topic is, uh, it is certainly interesting, tonight's topic. Uh, I, I, think, I think if you just read this chapter um, at face value, a lot of times you really have it might be out there. It might be out there, right? It might be, it might be, well, that's kind of weird, right? We're not, we're, but if you study it in context and in the depth that we're going to do tonight, I think it's going to be illuminating. Illuminating for the hour of history that we are in and the world will soon, itself will soon be in. So I hope you've got your Bibles ready. Open them if you haven't already to Revelation chapter 17. We're going to go chapter we, we're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through Revelation. We're going to go through the uh, chapter of 17 tonight, line by line, okay? We're going to be talking about Babylon, the mystery of Babylon. Church, spiritual Babylon is alive today. The city of Babylon, mystery Babylon, spiritual Babylon. What, what are we talking about? Church, all forms... All forms of occult practices have their origins traced back to the original city of Babylon. We're not going to be in Isaiah chapter 47 tonight, but mark that down if you're a note taker. Look up and read Isaiah chapter 47, okay? Uh, the Tower of Babel was constructed. Can I go see that? Can we actually see that uh, uh, sermon title picture again briefly, Evangeline? Uh, the first picture in there. Look at this. Look at that tower they're building. You know, this was directly after the flood. So are they trying to build a tower so high that God can't get to them? Maybe if we build a tower big enough, God won't be able to drown out our wickedness again. Maybe so. Maybe it was more than that. Maybe it was more than that. We talked about that briefly last week. Um, they're doing things in Geneva, Switzerland right now on the, the, the ruins of the temple to Apollo. They've built the large Hadron Collider trying to open dimensional uh, dimensional gateways. That sounds, that sounds weird, doesn't it? Well, you can go to their website, and it's not a secret, okay? Uh, Bible prophecy teachers are sounding less weird by the day, as a matter of fact. Uh, in any case, they're trying to build a tower to rebel against God. Nimrod is their leader, 
Tammuz, the son of Nimrod, as his queen, and his queen, Semiramis, uh, uh, they were identified with the Babylonian sun god and worshipped following the winter solstice. The winter solstice that comes December 22nd through 23rd. As Babylon was conquered, church, we need to understand this going in. As Babylon was conquered by subsequent empires, this entire religious system of sun god worship, paganism, worshipping of fallen angels, Nephilim and the like, it was transplanted, was transplanted from Babylon to Pergamus. And we talked about this a lot um, uh, early on. In the first part of our study of Revelation, uh, we titled uh, the first three chapters of that study, The Letters to the Churches. So if you go on the YouTube page, I encourage you guys to go look this up. Uh, watch again, if you're really wanting to do some studying, uh, the letter to the church of Pergamus, okay? Because all of this pagan, demonic, false god worship was transferred from, transferred from Babylon first to Pergamus, and then it was moved on to Rome after that. If you want to look it up in the Word, it's in Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, specifically references it as Christianity was established as the official state religion of Rome, many of the religious, the religious uh, practices and traditions of earlier pagan worship were adapted and incorporated uh, into Christianity. Yes, that includes many of our traditions surrounding Christmas. I'm not getting off on that tonight, okay? We put a Christmas tree up at our house and whatnot, okay? So I'm not going down that rabbit trail tonight, although it's a good one to go down, okay? Uh, the Bab Babylonian worship of Is uh, Ishtar, I should say, and the golden egg of Astarte, and the fertility rites of spring give us Easter. That's why at Life Story Church, we, uh, not for legalistic or religious reasons, we refer to that day as Resurrection Sunday because after all, what are we really celebrating? True Christians really celebrate the pastor, uh, Passover and the uh, Passover and the resurrection of Christ uh, on the Feast of First Fruits, right? So uh, many people don't know of that because it's cultural. You know, we're not going to be judgy about that. We know everybody's on their own journey of... Uh, of learning when it comes to the roots of our our faith and where different elements of pagan have infected the the faithful. So uh, we see all of that. But if you've to that point, if you've ever wondered how we get bunnies and eggs together uh, on Easter, there you go. Right there you go. So the the worship of Ishtar, golden eggs of Astarte, fertility rites. How does it? I've always wondered how does what do eggs and bunnies have in common, and what in the world does it have to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Well, there you go. Uh, even to the extent that, you know, the calendar year for the pagans would end on October 31st, right? I know you guys are thinking Reformation Day, right? No, right. Well, the pagan uh, institution of Halloween was obviously on that day, and we see it become all Hallows Eve and adopted by the Catholics and whatnot and enter there. So related to the worship, it was originally related to the worship of Baal, uh, the pagan god, and the planet Mars, false god Mars. But uh, the days of our the week, I'm going to rabbit trail here, I better not. The days of the week for that matter though, uh, Sunday, the sun god, Monday, the moon god, right? Tuesday, the pagan god too, etc., so on and so forth. Obviously we can't overcome all of that. We have to live in this culture, uh, be in it, not of it. But they all find. Point is, is that they all find they all find their origins on the Chaldean plains of Shinar, Babylon, Church, modern day Iraq, modern day Iraq. Okay, so yes, spiritually, Babylon lives on today, and it lives very well. But we'll talk about this a little bit more as we move on. I want to give you a brief outline as we jump into chapter 17. Can I see this next graphic? Mystery Babylon, Revelation chapter 17 and 18. Here's an outline for you guys as we move through 17. This is going to be a two-part series. I love that this study in Revelation gives us little uh, different ways to market this. We can do a two-part series here and there. Really, we're just moving through chapter by chapter. But uh, Mystery Babylon, Revelation uh, chapter 17 and 18, the great whore, the religious system. That's our focus tonight. Chapter 17, rides the beast with seven heads and ten horns. Uh, if you've 
uh, not read Daniel chapter 7 yet. I encourage you to do so. It's going to be relevant. The mother of harlots and, of, and abominations drunk with the blood of the saints. That's an important one. So screenshot this or take a picture of your TV. So you've got these notes, okay? And next week, we're really going to cover Babylon the Great, chapter 18, the kings, merchants, those that trade by sea, so on and so forth. Uh, but there are those, church, that believe uh, that the church will go through the tribulation. Have you encountered any of these believers? They're believers. Don't, let's, you know, a believer uh, in, and who has put their hope in, uh, for salvation into the finished work of the cross and the empty tomb, they're still saved. They're your brothers and sisters. They just have a differing opinion. You know, Paul said, let's not argue over matters of, that are in the gray area, right? Well, so long as the doctrine is not corrupted, hey, you can believe that we're going to suffer wrath if you want to, but it, it flies in the face of everything that I know in the Word and, and, and believe in the Word. But there are that said, there are those who believe the church will go through the tribulation period. In a way... They're right. Do you hear me, fellow pre-tribulation uh, pre rapture the theologists? Uh, in a way, they are right because there is a church that will, okay? The Thyatira. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 22, Thyatira there is promised. You who tolerate that woman, Jezebel, write this down tonight. Don't let that be lost on you. Does your church tolerate that spirit of Jezebel? Because that spirit, just like the spirit of Babylon, is alive and well today. The, are we not living in an unprecedented, unprecedented time uh, of, uh, of demonic revelation in, re in regards to uh, the enemy revealing his, his, his hand, if he's playing cards, right? Showing his hand, as they say. I believe that we are. So Thyatira is promised in Revelation chapter 2.22. The woman of chapter 17, get this now. Uh, we're about to jump into it verse by verse. But the woman of chapter 17 receives more attention than any other symbol in this entire book of Revelation. All right? She is surrounded by more identifying clues than any other symbol in the whole book. So if we're doing a serious study of Revelation, we need to pay attention tonight. Are you with me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wait and let you answer. Are you with me tonight? Somebody say amen. I'm going to ask you questions and get you commenting, right? Somebody say amen. Hopefully somebody did. I can't tell. I can't tell. So she's surrounded by more identifying clues than any other symbol in this book. And Babylon in chapter 18 and elsewhere, we'll get there, is mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. Did you know that? 300 times in the Bible. And it is even alluded to three different times in Christ's genealogy, if you do a genealogy study. It was the capital of the world's first global dictator. It should probably get a little attention, shouldn't it? And it will also be the capital of the world's last global dictator dictator. Okay. Babylon. Interestingly enough, Babylon is really a litmus test. It's a litmus test for the literal view of scripture. Let's just be honest. Up until 1948, there were a lot of uh, scholars, particularly Gentile scholars, right, uh, who thought that this prophesied third kingdom of Israel must have been metaphorical because there was no nation of Israel. Pre-1948, guys, that's not a long time ago. What are we talking, 72, 73 years ago now? We're within a generation of the th prophesied third kingdom of Israel being reborn. Prior to that, you have to go back all the way to 70 AD for there to be a kingdom of Israel. So what do you do with all of these prophecies about a nation of Israel in the end times when there is no nation of Israel. Well, scholars that really believed that, well, surely the returning of Christ is soon. Surely the seven uh, years of Jacob's trouble is soon. Uh, the only way I can figure this out is maybe, uh, you know, maybe it's metaphorical. Maybe the church is Israel, right? And then we get into, uh, we get into that replacement theology stuff all over again, which we covered greatly 
in the first uh, first chapters of this book uh, in our Letters to the Churches series. So in any case, it's a litmus test. Why? Because have you been to Babylon lately? Has anybody bought a plane ticket to, Bab- no, to Babylon lately? No, Saddam Hussein uh, made it an effort to rebuild Babylon. But as of today, it's just a tourist attraction. It's more like a dig, right? Uh, archaeologists and whatnot. It's not a thriving metropolis or center of trading or port or anything, right? But uh, it's a litmus test for the literal view of Scripture. Do we believe that this is one of those literal issues like people pre-1948 thought that the nation of Israel must be be a uh, metaphor because there was no nation of Israel? Or are we looking at seeing a rebirth of the city of Israel in that seven-year tribulation period? Um, it's probably likely that we'd see some ramping up to it if we were, if it were going to be here, uh, and we're close to it. I don't know. Or is it truly metaphorical for a, uh, end time cabal, an end time deep state cabal, which we at Life Story Church have talked about on uh, a few months back in January, didn't we? Uh, in any case, it's a litmus test. How literally are we going to take everything? Um, we take the scripture literal at Life Story Church. Uh, and throughout my life anyway, it has proven to prove itself each time. Versus I find every time I, I consider interpreting something, I find as I go, as I move forward in my life and I study more, the literal interpretation seems to be proven right more and more versus the the uh alternative so let's read revelation chapter 17 verse 133 let's read then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked to me remember they just from last week they just finished dumping out the seven bowls uh, of wrath and one of those seven came to me. Revelation 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on the many waters. Verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Verse 3, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy. This is big. Having seven heads and ten horns, again, as I mentioned a moment ago, understanding Daniel is imperative to understanding Revelation. So if you want to make a study out of this, you'll want to look at Daniel chapter 7. This really... As we study these next two chapters, church, we have to understand that there is a narrative throughout the Word of God. There is a tale of two cities. There's a tale of two women throughout the entire Word of God. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when enmity was struck between the seed of the woman and of Satan. You understand? Of the serpent. So uh, there has been two competing seed lines throughout history warring on the planet Earth. So the tale of two cities, what do we see? In Revelation, uh, specifically, we're going to see the tale of these two cities and, uh, and these two women. Can I see that graphic? Jerusalem versus Babylon and the bride of Christ versus the harlot of Revelation 17, the harlot Jezebel of, uh, uh, of Revelation chapter 2. So there she is, the harlot, the whore that rides the beast, the whore of Babylon. So Jerusalem, the beloved city of God. Babylon, the corrupt, rebellious city from its beginning with Nimrod and the tower to rebel against God. The bride of Christ versus the harlot, she who is unchaste, right? And the bride, which is the virgin. So Satan, one thing we take, have to take note of right off the bat here is that Satan is a counterfeit. He is a counterfeiter, okay? Uh, he, he sees what God is doing, and he always tries to copy. So we've got, what do we have? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
what does Satan do? He's got uh, Satan, uh, uh, he's got the, the Antichrist and the false prophet, right? So what, what does uh, God have the bride of Christ? What does he have? The harlot, right? So in any case, I want you to remember a few things as we study through the scripture here tonight. This is your key code. Do a screenshot, take a photo of your TV, however you're doing this tonight, or write it down. You have to understand this biblical key code uh, as we study through the scriptures. Can we see that? There we go. As we study in Revelation, try to get ahead of me on some of these graphics because I'm going to be, move, be moving pretty quick. Okay, guys? Horns equal kings. Heads equal kingdoms. Okay? So horns uh, that a beast, the beast has, heads that the beast has, Waters will always represent people and multitudes. We're going to see that in verse 15 here again, okay? And harlotry, this is big. This is big. Are you with me? Harlotry equals and or represents false devotion, okay? Uh, it's not just rebellion. It's not just rebellion. It's false devotion, flatteries, pretended affection, okay? A trading of intimacy for favors. So the woman is a harlot and she rides the beast. Okay. So she rides the governments. Looking at that key code, she rides the governments. She rides the kings with false allegiance to them. So she's taking advantage. Okay. Uh, she, they are her ride. This is a false worldwide global system, a false religious world system that we're seeing here, all right? Uh, the communist Lenin, a lot of talk of communism today in the United States, isn't there? As we're blatantly under attack uh, by a subversive attack of communist agents that have inf infiltrated over the years. Uh, I thought Lenin would be a good, uh, I loved uh, the thought of Lenin being a good quote uh, to share with you tonight. Can we see that? Lenin was absolutely correct when he said this, religion is the opiate of the people. Indeed. Don't confuse that though. Religion for salvation. That's different and we'll touch on that a bit later, okay? Religion is the opiate of the people because they're drunk on the wine of it, drunk on the wine of it. The control of the state religion today. Are you watching the news at all, church? The control of the state religion. Well, wait, wait a minute. I thought that there was a separation of church and state. There's, there's no state religion, is there? Oh, I beg to differ on that opinion. There is absolutely a state religion uh, that is being uh, uh, propagandized and uh, propagated from uh, the White House uh, right now, from, from our government today. The control of the state religion is one of the most dangerous trends in view today. The enforced paganism, and I wish we could start thinking about it like this. The enforced paganism of our government uh, in our schools today, and, and it's in our schools today, is frightening. Make no mistake, though, the issues that are being pushed and shoved down our throats as Christians today from the government, they are pagan issues. And it's just the beginning, church. It's just This is the time where we as patriots need to stand up and fight back run for school board, right? Run for local office, run for national office, whatever it is. We need more Christians as we can, more Christians, as many Christians as possible into these positions right now. I've said that for years. We're really at a breaking point now where it needs to happen. Um, you know, we look at the social issues being indoctrinated. We've got gender politics being shoved down the throats of our kids in middle school, elementary school and whatnot. Um, I mean, the headlines you see, I, my face turns red if I were even to try and read them, what they're trying to teach fourth graders nowadays. In our uh, a headline I recently saw about what's being taught for fourth graders, what government state officials are saying about what, uh, what, exper what sexual experiences fourth graders are having or should expect to have. It's disgusting. 
but it's just the beginning, the social indoctrination of gender politics. Like, God, there's, there's two genders, male, female, right? If you're watching this, you likely understand that. Uh, hopefully, if you don't, this is not, you don't, this is not, this should, this should not be an issue that divides us, right? Critical race theory that's being pumped and, and shoved into our schools today, um, all having roots, communistic roots, just to be honest with you. This religion, there is a state religion. You know what it is? There's more than one gender. Shove it down our throats. Uh, that's, that's religious belief, right? Because that's, there's no science behind it, right? There's no science behind that. Although in our, uh, our uh, uh, religious beliefs, we find a lot of science and as far as a young earth and whatnot, right? But uh, gender politics, critical race theory, it's, it's propaganda. There's truly no science to back these things up, but it's being shoved down our throat by, by a political agenda that is in nature religious and those who believe in it and fight for it. Uh, in any case, we're heading down this road. This is relevant content for us tonight. Revelation chapter 17, verse 4. Let's keep reading. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adored with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. What is that? In other words, the payment, the payment for her prostitution. Purple was the predominant color of the Roman of Roman imperialism. Uh, purple is the color of royalty, right? So the Romans loved it. The cost, the cost of the purple dye was through the roof. They wanted everything purple, though. So purple was the color of Roman imperialism. Every senator and consul wore uh, purple a purple stripe as a badge of his position. The emperor's Rome uh, robes. The emperor in Rome, his robes were purple. Scarlet, though, is the color that was adopted by a specific sect. It was adopted specifically by the Roman, Roman Catholic Church. And what did our text say? In her hand, a cup, golden cup full of abominations, we do. A, you don't have to do much of a Bible study to find Isaiah chapter 44 and other places where uh, abominations is always tied to idolatry. It's always tied to idolatry. Can I see this next picture? This next graphic? Hey, who's that? Who's that guy? I, it's not the current Pope, but the look on the face was just too demonic to avoid. I couldn't help myself. The purple, the scarlet... The Dagon, the pagan fish god Dagon hat that's being worn there. The staff that's carried that uh, you can't that you can see just above the uh, the African uh, American uh, priest who's praying there. The pine cone that's on the staff that's what that is that lump beneath the cross. Uh, that's uh, in reference to the pagan god Dionysus, and you could do a whole study of this, guys. I'm just saying the. Let me say this. Let me make this point. The church was not meant to rule. It was not meant to rule ever until her rejected Lord returns to power. Blasphemy. Blasphemy includes any doctrine that attempts to add to what God has completed. And what has God completed? Let me see this next graphic. I'll make it plain for you guys. What's, what, has, what has God completed? This. Salvation by works denies, salvation by works denies God's glory and it equals blasphemy. What is blasphemy? Anything that denies God's glory. And what denies God's glory? Salvation by works. Saying, I can do it myself. I can make myself holy. I can be good enough apart. Uh, I can, I can overcompensate for, for the fall in the garden. I can overcompensate myself for broken covenant with God. Oh, let's keep reading. It gets better. It gets better. I hope you're tracking with me tonight, guys. Talk to each other on this feed, all right? And on her forehead, a name was written. Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots 
and of the abominations of the earth. Do you notice how that's in all caps there? Nowadays, uh, when we see all caps, usually it's because uh, your mom is texting you and she doesn't realize that all caps were left on, right? And you're like, Mom, why are you yelling at me, right? <laughs> but uh, we're going to have some fun with that. But literally, we're, we're reading in the Word of God. Did the Holy Spirit just accidentally hit the all caps button uh, inadvertently? Uh, I do it all the time myself. No, this is intentional. In the Greek, in the original writing, this was left in caps. Do you think the Holy Spirit wants you to pay attention to something here? Mystery, the Babylon the Great. Mystery, mysterion, in other words. Mysterion in the Greek, that word means uh, written on her forehead is the word mysterion that means the secret is revealed. So there was a secret it's not a secret anymore, though. Written on her, for, her forehead is the revelation of the secret. Okay? We see contrasting mysteries here, don't we? We've got a new mystery here in the Bible. Mystery Babylon versus the mystery of the gospel that Paul spoke so much about, right? Mystery of the gospel. Here we have the mother of harlots is said. The mother of mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. What does that suggest? She has offspring. She has offspring. She's not alone. Who is Mystery Babylon? Well, she has offspring. It's plural, like a brothel of a harlot, right? Let's keep reading verses 6 through 7. I saw the woman, and this is very telling. Oh, church, very telling drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Verse 7, But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman, of, of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has, this, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. Drunk with the blood of the saints. Church, that is telling. We need to pay attention to that. That is very, very telling. Here she is. She is drunk with the blood of the saints. And John is just in awe. He's in awe. He is an amazement. I marveled with great amazement. He wonders. Like, wow, right? I mean, it would, why? Who is this? It would have been no surprise, no surprise uh, if pagan Rome, pagan Rome should persecute believers. John had seen that, right? He's seen that. By the time uh, John uh, would pass on to be with the Lord, it was past 90 AD. Well, that's roughly when we think Revelation was potentially written, right? So, John, John, if it's Rome persecuting people, not, not a surprise. But he was in awe. He marveled with great amazement. He saw an institution that claimed the name of Christ, drunk on the blood of the saints. Can you imagine being John, if indeed this conjecture is correct. Would you not just marvel in amazement? The love of a harlot is a feigned love. It's a feigned love. Uh, a pretended affection to gain favors. That's what it is. No other dictator, hear me now, church, no other dictator or nation has persecuted and murdered more Christians throughout history than the Roman Catholic Church, period. 50 million. We talk about the Holocaust, right? Say, so, oh, 6 million Jews were... No, it's more like 15 when you factor in the gulags and the Russian oppression. Uh, 50 million believers here. 50 million martyred through the Dark Ages by the Roman Catholic Church. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. If you don't know what that book is, I encourage you to look it up. I encourage you to have a copy in your library. Read. Read. 
some testimonies of faith, and soon you'll realize that Hitler and Mao have got nothing on the lineage of the Pope. And that's the truth. Let's keep reading. Verse 8, Revelation 17, verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. In Greek, that's Apollyon or Apollo. Interesting. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel. Pay attention to this. Those who dwell on the earth, that's never, the bride is never referred to in that way, the beloved of Christ. These are those who dwell upon the earth. They will marvel. Who are they? Whose names are not written in the book of life. So who's on the earth then? Can we look at this? Come on now, we talked, opened up with this. There are some that believe that the church will go through the tribulation period, and maybe they're right, Thyatira, so on and so forth, right? However, what's in view here is those who dwell upon the earth are those whose names are not written in the book of life. From the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not, and yet is, they will marvel. Now this is... Uh, this is similar uh, to the previous account uh, that we gathered out of Revelation chapter 13. Uh, the beast was fatally wounded, recall? The, the head wound. Brought back to life. It was truly a mockery of Christ's death and resurrection, obviously, right? So he, uh, when they see the beast that was, is not, and yet is, hmm, let's keep reading verse 9. Here is the mind here is the mind which has wisdom. Do we, there it is. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Okay. <laughs> so, who is this? What's going on here? What are we reading here? What are we reading? Seven mountains. This is an identifier for us. Seven mountains. Do me a favor. Maybe not right now, because I don't want you to lose the feed of the video, right? Uh, but if you've got another device, maybe, do this for me. Google City of Seven Mountains and see what comes up. I can tell you what will come up. City of Seven Mountains. Rome. Rome. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Mountains. And prophecy equals governments. Look at Daniel chapter two. She sits on government. Uh, she sits on seven governments in Rome. Seven governments in Rome, and she rides them. She uses them. I mean, these are some telling features of who this is, to me. Anyway, am I saying that the Pope is the Antichrist? No, I'm not. I'm not. No. Uh, early church fathers, the Reformation fathers, they all believed that the Pope <laughs> that the Pope was the Antichrist. As a matter of fact, if you look into the Geneva Bible, in the original text, in the side, we have study Bibles nowadays. They didn't back then, but they had margins, and they would write their own notes around in the margins. And some of those original Bibles, they always say, anytime you come across a reference to the Antichrist, or in Revelation in particular, they'll write, and this is the Pope, and this is the Roman Catholic Church. But no, I'm not saying that. I don't believe that the Antichrist is the Pope. I don't. Um, in Greek, Antichrist just means pseudo-Christ, which means really a, a different, a, a, in other words, in the place of, a pseudo-Christ. Not the real Christ, but you know, somebody who is trying to pretend to be the Christ, a pseudo-Christ. Um, in the place of Christ. As a matter of fact, in Latin, the Pope is known as the Vicar of Christ. We know that. He's the Vicar of Christ. Well, if you look that up, what does that mean in the Latin? It means in the place of Christ. As a matter of fact, uh, you, can, you don't have to look too far back into history looking at quotes of the Popes, and you can find examples of at least two different Popes in the last um, 200 years uh, commenting and saying, I should have had these quotes for you guys, but it's commenting and saying, you know, if there's ever a difference, and I'll, I'm just, uh, I'm not quoting verbatim here, but uh, if there's ever a difference between what the Pope is saying and what the Bible says, go with what the Pope is saying, because Jesus can always change his mind. 
right? That's the position of the Roman Catholic Church even today. Even today. Whew, wow. So, uh, it was an easy parallel to draw for early period Christians especially. I've got a few of those quotes for you. Can I see those? Horace wrote, The gods who look with favor on the seven hills. Right? That's the first one. Ovid wrote, But Rome looks around on the whole globe from her seven mountains, the seat of empire, and what? The abode of the gods. Right? And Augustine wrote, Babylon, no more, no less. Babylon is a former Rome, and Rome is a later Babylon. Let's keep reading verse 10. Verse 10. There are also seven kings. This gets good. Seven kings. Five have fallen. Do we have that uh, scripture? Uh, chapter 17, verse 10. Verse 10. I'll go ahead and read. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. Verse 11. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seventh and is going to perdition again, perdition in the Greek being Apolly, Apollia, Apollo, which was the false god Apollo, which is, you can get into a whole nother study just based on that and what they're trying to do in Geneva, Switzerland, and what the um, uh, what they do every time a president is inaugurated in Washington, D.C. Um, <clears throat> with the Freemason, the ceremony that the Freemasons do at their headquarters there in D.C., praying for the spirit of Apollo to return and possess the role of Antichrist, I guess. So anyway, this references seven super kingdoms of Satan. Uh, seven that were, that are not. It sounds confusing. Let me break it down for you. Can I see this next graphic for you guys? Uh, there are seven kings. Five are fallen. So why are they fallen? Well, Look at these super kingdoms, satanic super kingdoms throughout history. We had Egypt, we had Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. Daniel outlined all of those clearly for us. So there are seven, five are fallen. There are those that are fallen. At the time, one is. Remember, John is writing this, and at the time he's writing this, the Roman Empire is in full power. So what's the one that is? Rome. And the other is not yet come. So we know that the we know that the uh, uh, last comes out that 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 comes out of. Could this be Rome too? Are we looking at a Rome, a second version, a revived Roman Empire? Is that what we're looking at here? Uh, and when he cometh, he must continue a short space. So uh, are we looking at a revived Roman Empire? I don't know. We could be, guys. We could be uh, looking at that. Uh, the seven kings, five have fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. But when he comes, it won't be for long. It won't be, be long-lived is the point. So now come the ten horns. This is a short chapter. We're almost done with the chapter. We're going to read verses 12 through uh, 18. We're, we're almost done. Let's just, let's read them. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as of yet, but they receive authority for one hour. Talk about a short time, right? For one hour as kings with the beast. Verse 13. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beasts. Now, speculations as to who they are is just that, speculations. Uh, they have no kingdom yet, as the as scripture says. So they don't, still don't have a kingdom yet. But verse 14, these will make war with the lamb. Now, listen to me. They're going to make war with the lamb? Are you kidding me? It's one thing to deny the Lord and to deny him and say, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe that he is God. It is a whole nother matzo ball, right? To 
Obviously, if you're making war with him, you acknowledge him as some kind of being that is not man, some kind of supernatural being, and you're choosing to make war with him. That's just mind-blowing. You think that you have a hard time uh, having uh, conversations about common sense with, uh, with your... Uh, uh, progressive communist friends now, right? I mean, these people literally recognize that this is a supernatural being God. They blaspheme him. They make war with him. How does that mindset take root? I think it's taking root right now. So it's one thing to deny the Lord and say that you don't believe, but to make war with him, my goodness. So these will make war with the lamb. Let's keep reading. Sorry. <laughs> and the lamb will overcome them. Of course he will. For he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him, is that you, church? Those who are with him are called chosen, the chosen, and faithful. Verse 15. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on, on the beast these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. What in the world does this mean? The kings will eventually destroy the harlot. So she was riding them, taking advantage of them. And eventually, it's kind of like a situation where two crooks can kind of take advantage of each other. But then uh, one runs uh, out of their usefulness. And the more powerful one is like, you're not useful to me anymore. So now, because you're not useful to me anymore, you're a liability, like in all the movies, right? So here's what we see. Same thing happens. The kings eventually destroy the harlot. The harlot, keep in mind, is not the beast. You've got to understand this. The harlot is not the beast. It rides the beast, but then is destroyed by the beast. Verse 17. Let's keep going. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. So they are so selfish. Look at this. They are so selfish that even Satan could not sway them to give away their power. They have their own power, these kings, but even Satan and his grand plan for one world order and everything else couldn't get them to relinquish it. So God himself puts the thought into their minds. Uh, so he intervened verse, intervened. verse 18. And the woman, the woman whom you saw, verse 18, is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So that's what we're going to get into next week is that great city. So Revelation chapter 17 in review. You ready for this? Notice that the prostitute is not the beast. The prostitute is not the beast, but rides the beast. She initially exploits the beast, right? She thinks she's, she's exploiting him, this global religious system, but eventually is destroyed by him. The false prophet, in other words, we saw first appear back in Revelation chapter 13, will be destroyed. The false prophet will be betrayed. Uh, his power over the false religion of the world will be usurped, though he himself won't be destroyed really until, um, I may have spoke too soon, until chapter 19. <sighs> Mystery Babylon. Mystery Babylon as a false religious system has been identified has been identified with the city of Rome from the early centuries until, yes, this present hour, this day. So I don't know if I've got any Catholics tuning on and you're really, bad at me, or really mad at me for uh, talking bad about Rome and the Pope. Uh, it's nothing new. It's been identified here since the beginning. I've got 10 clues for you. Let's go over these 10 clues from the beginning. All right, take a look at this. A prostitute. Ultimate in promiscuous. 
unfaithful behavior depicts unfaithfulness to God on the part of someone who claims to honor God. Sound like anybody you know claims to honor God in the name of Jesus, right? The name of the Christ. Number two, has universal influence all over the world. Who could this be? She is seated upon, steers, drives, dominates the beast, wears purple, scarlet, gold, and jewels. She is conspicuously uh, wealthy. (laughs) If you guys knew how wealthy the Catholic Church was, it'd blow your mind. Uh, She's very wealthy and expensively adorned, outwardly attractive, The golden cup that was referenced, precious, shining, pleasant to behold, ostensibly a utensil in God's service, yet counterfeit, filled with abominable things. Uh, What were abominable things? Blasphemous things. Verse 6, mystery, Babylon the Great, or point 6, a mystery linked with Babylon, of Nimrod. Look at Revelation 11.8 as an idiom. The mother of prostitutes. She has spiritual offspring. She's not alone. She's spread her wickedness and false doctrine and paganism throughout the world. She's not alone. She has offspring. Plenty of other churches that have broken off and, and uh, commit their own idolatry and blasphemy. Point seven, or seventh clue, I should say, mother of prostitutes, or eight, excuse me, persecutor of Christians, and this is where it comes comes down to the nitty-gritty. Persecutor of Christians, and by Christians, I mean true believers. True believers. In fact, she revels in their blood. Mm. If you don't have a copy of The Woman That Rides the Beast by Dave Hunt, uh... You guys know I'm a, uh, I'm a student of Chuck Nissler, uh, the Koinonia Institute, uh, Calvary Chapel. I'll endorse this book by Dave Hunt. It is fasc- a fascinating history of the Catholic Church and how it uh, in many ways potentially ties into um, uh, what we're reading right now. As a matter of fact, I think I've got this here. This is another good one. Uh, Haley's. Bible Handbook. If you don't have a copy of this book and you're a student of the Word of God, you cannot just always trust that the internet is always going to be there, okay? You can't trust that you can always do a Google search. We need to have some paperback, okay? So have this book as a part of your study, all right? This this book has got a wonderful, uh, wonderful couple pages on this chapter, all right? So, uh, What's our uh, next clue? Nine? Seven hills. (laughs) What else is on seven hills, right? Rome built on seven hills. It was built on seven hills. Look throughout, look at all of these. There's such an abundance of historical references to the city of seven hills. I can't, I'm not even going to take the time to get into it. And clue 10, the great city that rules over the kings of the earth in John's day. In John's day, that could only be Rome. Could only be Rome. Today we see a separate sovereign nation within the city of Rome. Anybody know what that is? A separate sovereign nation within the city of Rome? It's the Vatican. Do you know that there is also a separate sovereign nation within the city of London? There is. Uh, as a matter of fact, Her Majesty the Queen cannot even go into that city without permission from London's mayor. Uh, look it up. There's also a similar uh, nation state, somewhere more familiar to you. When you think of a state in our union that's not a state, has its own sovereignty. Washington, D.C., of course, you know, I'm talking about that. Let's see this next graphic. I'm not going to do this study for you guys, but I encourage you to do it yourself. All right. Some people will call me a a conspiracy theory propagandist for pointing this out, but you know what the facts are, what they are? Uh, Do your own homework. 
Each one of these uh, 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 places is a sovereign nation within a city. They all share the womb, uh, the, the, the obelisk, um, all Egyptian god and goddess. I won't get into the, uh, the uh, sexual connotations that these symbols represent tonight. However, you see the womb at the capitals. You see the obelisks as the phallus symbols, all standing in their own unique sovereign nation uh, uh, states within a city. Guys, Rome, its tentacles stretch far beyond Italy, all right? Uh, it has its own diplomatic embassies in the major, every major capital of the world. Its histories of atrocities upon believers are literally unparalleled in history. Roman, Roman Catholic Church is more than a church. It's a global religious political system influencing, working with the kings of the earth even as we speak to establish a one world order. Does that sound too alarmist for you guys? I don't know. I guess it doesn't matter if it does because it's true. The global cabal's tentacles reach far beyond Rome, far beyond Rome. In those three cities, in those three uh, independent states, we have got a financial arm, a religious arm, and a military arm that stretch across the globe. And guess what? The Pope is currently working to establish a one-world religion. If you aren't aware of that, look look at what he has most recently been, been up to in the era of the Chaldeans at the birthplace of Abraham. Just Google it. He's working with leaders of Judaism. He's working with leaders of Islam to establish with Catholicism a Chrislam one world order. Things that once sounded crazy. Oh man, I used to watch this prophecy show. Um, if Amber were here, she would be able to tell me what it's called. What's it called? Jack. Jack and Rexella. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Comment if you remember. Jack and Rexella, the show, is Bible prophecy show. And they would talk about Chrislam, and it just sounded so out there and whack, right? <laughs> it sounded wacky or like, okay, uh, all right. It's it's mainstream media. It's in the it's in the New York Times headlines now. I mean, like this common knowledge. That's what they're trying to do is establish a one world religion. And the Pope is leading the cause. It's a notion that is in and of itself anti-Christ. Again, I'm not calling the Pope the Antichrist. He's the false prophet, right? Can I see this next graphic? Why is that notion anti-Christ? Here, here it is. Because religion is simply this. Did you know that there's a difference between religion and salvation? Let me implore you tonight, if you have religion, I hope you will dump religion for salvation. And if you don't have religion, don't bother getting a religion, get salvation. Religion is the attempted redemption by self-righteousness and that in its nature is anti-Christ. Like I can do it myself. What do I need Christ to die on the cross for? Right? I can be good enough, smart enough, because gosh darn it, people like me, right? Stuart Smalley. Attempted redemption by self-righteousness, self-attainment, self-enlightenment. That is antichrist. That is religion. Do this to become that. Do good to get good. Do good to become holy. Guess what you can't? Salvation equals attained by redemption, by his righteousness, not antichrist, no, Christ alone. That's it, church. That's what we're looking at right now. That's we're, this, we're looking at state-propagated religion infecting our school system at every level Paganist ideas. It's paganism. Paganism in the name of uh, racial justice. Paganism in the name of uh, 
equal rights for transgender, whatever, whatever happens to women's rights, by the way, apparently the left doesn't care about women's rights anymore because they want men to be able to wrestle. What did, that was a, that was a quick turnaround. Where's our words? Where's everybody that was marching in the pink hats in downtown Nashville? Huh? Hey, Nashville, where are all you pink hat wearers now? You have something to say? Do you have something to say about, uh, um, men beating up women in high school athletics? Where are you now? Oh, church. Next week, we're going to jump into Revelation chapter 18. I hope you enjoyed tonight. Uh, we're going to keep going with it. Babylon the Great, the city. The city. Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 6 through 7 reads as such. We'll read this as a uh, forerunner for next week's installment. Leave Babylon, leave, come out of her, my people, in other words, huh? Save your lives, each of you. Don't perish because of her guilt, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. Ooh, ooh, I'm getting chills. We're going back to uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 63, the day, uh, acceptable day of the Lord versus the day of vengeance. And Jesus stopped short of saying the day of vengeance. The day of vengeance is here in Revelations. Revelation, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He will pay her what she deserves. Thank God we don't get what we deserve when we put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross. Babylon was a gold cup in the Lord's hand. Was is no more. Making the whole earth drunk. The nations drank her wine. Therefore, the nations go mad. Does anybody else feel like the world has gone mad? You watch the news and think, has everybody lost their minds? <laughs> Don't get me started. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody's lost their minds. This mask wearing stuff has become a religion. Why? False religion. It's, it's demonic, church. It's demonic. I'm telling you. Oh, pay attention if you're not paying attention. By the way, take the mask off. Take the, take the mask off. You know... If you, if you have had COVID, you have antibodies. If you have had the vaccine, which I don't encourage you to do so if you're a young person especially, but then you've got antibodies, right? So if you've got, if you've got that, uh, new reports out from the NIH, new reports out from the CDC all say, guess what? Wearing a mask outside was always pointless. Guess what? China had a report a year ago that told us that, and we knew that. That's why we didn't wear masks at Life Story Church at the outdoor chapel, right? So, uh, wearing a mask outside, pointless. Guess what? Six feet apart, pointless. Guess what? Masks are very unhealthy for children, and children are at no risk from COVID. So, if you have friends that put masks on their kids in love, encourage them to take the masks off their kids. And if you yourself are at, at no pre-existing condition risk, Take the mask off. Don't live in fear. Don't live in fear. <sighs> Babylon was a gold cup in the Lord's hand, making the whole earth drunk. The nations drank her wine. Therefore, the nations go mad. Don't go with her. Don't go mad with her, church. Next week, chapter 18, we're going to see seaport, the seaport of Babylon, which is an interesting thing. We didn't know there was a seaport in Babylon, right? Anyway, it's destroyed by God. City of Seven Hills destroyed by a political beast, right? Some interesting stuff uh, regarding history and Alexander the Great that we'll touch on as well. Um, but just keep this in mind. The usage of the word Babylon, okay, is never used of the beast or of its head. So it is... So. It's always of this ruling uh, power in Rome, ruling religious global system. Uh, if we're talking literal, and this is what we're looking towards next week, does this mean we're looking at a revival of the true city, literal city of Babylon? Is Rome looking to move to Babylon? Or is Babylon something else? Or is Babylon 
something else that we have touched on. Is that spirit of Babylon not just about a city? Is it about um, this uh, deep state global cabal that we uh, touched on briefly earlier? In any case, in any case, we'll see. Uh, but guess what? We won't see it from down here. We won't see it from Earth. We'll see it from the mezzanine. We'll see it from up there because everything that we're studying right now is it's important to study because as we see these things playing out, we see it. We're in the forerunning of it all coming to be. Okay, For the first time in history, we can see all of these things materializing, which tells us we've got to be close to Jesus Christ returning to bring his bride unto himself, appearing in the air, the rapture, the catching away, the harpazo. <sighs> Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, so we'll not have to worry about being on the earth for these things as they unfold. We'll watch them from afar. But let, uh, let this be a moment that you ask yourself, is my name written in the Lamb's book of life? I pray that it is. If it's not, you can write it in there right now. With every eye closed and every head bowed, just say this with me right now. Say, Jesus, I put my hope in you. I put my trust in you, my faith in you. I believe that you are God. I believe you died on the sin, died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave on the third day. I believe that you want me to live with you. I believe that you go to prepare a place for me. Lord, I can't do it without you. Lord, I'm broken. I am, uh, what I don't want to do, I do. What I do want to do, I don't do. <sighs> I know apart from you and your sacrifice and you're paying my debt, apart from your paying my debt, I can never measure up to the holiness to be in the presence of God, but I believe you did that for me. So I put my trust in you that you have my eternity secured. When you come, Lord Jesus, come for me that I'd not be lost from your hand. I love you, Lord Jesus. Can you say that with all your heart? I love you, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart and make me new. Seal it, the promise of inheritance, of eternal life. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. I hope you guys got a lot out of that tonight. If you did, I hope you'll share the video. If you have questions, uh, email me. Um, watch it over again, all that good stuff. But uh, we'll leave you tonight, and we look forward to getting together on Sunday morning, 10.30 a.m. at the Rutledge West in the Pegram community, just, just west on 40 of uh, Bellevue off the McCrory Lane exit. We'll be there at 10.30 a.m., and you are invited. You are invited to come uh, fellowship and celebrate what Christ has done, what Jesus has done in your life and for you celebrate with us as we worship together. So may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour out his favor and grace upon you. May you go. Uh, and as you go, may he go before you, behind you, beside you. May you prosper in all you do. Go in grace in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. We love you guys. Have a good night.